Good morning, everyone. Um, let's pray, and we'll, we'll be going into uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. But before I pray, you know, Pastor Mark's a funny guy, so pray for him. Um, he sent me a picture of, uh, of a chicken, and it was real funny. He said he had the bird flu, so he's still, <laughs> even when he's sick, he's still incredibly just a wonderful man. So anyway, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for Pastor Mark and for the blessing that he has just blessed us for decades, not only to this group of saints and believers here, but in many other fields and many other churches. Father, we pray for his healing. We pray also, Father, that you would um, um, be with us as we go through your words. Um, fill us with the Holy Spirit to understand uh, these teachings, the, this doctrine, instruct us, rebuke us, and comfort us, Lord, as we go through your words in Philippians. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. amen. Philippians uh, 1, let me read it out. and um, Let me read it out, and then uh, we'll, we'll go verse by verse. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Philippi somewhere between 80, 60, and 62. And he's writing this while under house arrest, some, people, some scholars say in prison, some in house arrest in Rome, uh, waiting for his trial with uh, Nero. Now, if I was in prison and if I was waiting for a trial with the emperor, knowing that I may be executed or beheaded at any moment, I'm not sure if I'll be this joyful. But this letter, this, these verses, is really showing how much joy that Paul had with the believers and the saints in Philippi. And he's going to thank them deeply that how much they provided for him, how much they prayed for him, and vice versa, Paul praying for him too. So as we go through these verses, we can see the love of Paul towards saints. And this is the same love that we should have for the saints around us, right? And so, we, and so in the first two verses, as I read, uh, it's an introduction from Paul. And Paul, by the way, is uh, writing from, as I said, is writing from house arrest. We know if, uh, this is one of the letter, uh, what they call the uh, prison epistles. 
uh, along with Ephesians, uh, Philemon, and Colossians. So the first two verses here is the introduction from Paul. Then verses three to five is, is, is this joyous and thanksgiving for this church and this church in Philippi specifically. In verses seven to eight is a deep love for this church. And verses nine to 11 is Paul's prayer for this church. And as we go through this, God's going to also uh, teach us and instruct us on, our, what, on, on the way we should love others, especially the saints. So here, verse one says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. Now, it's referenced as Paul and Timothy. Timothy is not a co-author. Paul wrote this epistle, but Timothy, Remember, he was like-minded, right? He was like-minded like Paul. So he had a deep love also for this church in Philippi. But, he, but Paul calls them, both of them here as bond servants of Jesus Christ. A bond servant is someone who's, who, who wants to be a slave. And when we think about slavery, we think about being punishment and cruelty and all those things. But here, this bond servant, Paul's just saying, I'm willingly becoming a slave for Jesus Christ. And this word bond servant, doulos, is, you know, he uses the same word in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and Titus 1, 1. Paul comes with a bondservant. And we should be bondservants of Jesus Christ. We should be willing to do anything for Jesus Christ, right? I mean, sometimes God convicts me. It's like, I died for you, but you can't wake up five minutes earlier? I died for you, but you can't um, call somebody and pray with them? So I get that in my own heart. And the Lord is saying, I gave all. Not in a guilty way, right? He's not making us guilty, but he's saying, I want to work through you. I want to serve my body through you. He wants to use each one of you here. Be a bondservant for Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, this word saints the root word Haggai means holy, is set ones. These are set people. We're set apart for Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Look to the left, look to the right of you. They are, if they believed and they trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're saints. They may look weird, they may act weird, but they're saints. Get used to them. You may see them in heaven again. No, you, no, I'm just kidding. They will be in heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will be in heaven. If you're trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, you will be. In, you are a saint. And you don't have to be in New Orleans to be a saint. You could be in Philadelphia. The Eagles have saints too. You could be anywhere. It's the body of Christ. We're saints. Set apart. A holy nation. So it says in Peter. Sometimes... We don't consider ourselves as saints, you know, the three L's we, we face, lies, laziness, lust, we, we go through that. We don't look like saints. But the beauty again is Christ paid for all those things. We are righteous because he is righteous. So consider yourself a saint. Paul, after coming to Jesus, after being, seeing Christ and coming to and trusting in Christ, Paul gave all of him, himself to Christ. And here, he writes to the saints of Philippi. The city of Philippi was located in the eastern border of the country of Macedonia. Today is Greece. So if you look on the map, uh, on the eastern side, on the northeast side of Greece, close to the, A A the Aegean Sea, you can see Philippi. And was founded by Philip II of Macedon uh, in 356 BC. Some of you guys are in history buffs. You'll, you'll know that Philip of Macedon was the father of Alexander the Great. 
who eventually conquered most of the known world by 330 BC. He conquered the whole world, right? But when he died, he, uh, he, he put his arms out of the coffin and says, whoever's so strong, he gets it. He even he knew you still had to face death. So here, the battle, uh, also another interesting fact of Philippi is that the battle of Philippi in 42 BC was the final battle in the civil war between the forces of Mark Anthony and Octavian. And remember, if you read Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, you'll right away know that Brutus, after Brutus and Cassius assassinate Caesar, there's a civil war, right? Octavian and Anthony, they come after and have a civil war. So this battle of Philippi, it's a historic battle, is, occurs near this, this ancient city. So that, during the time of Paul, Philippi was, of course, ruled by the Roman government. And generally, Philippi was a wealthy city. Uh, they say that uh, once you finish your military service, a lot of the Roman soldiers and generals, they will retire in Philippi. Today, you know, when you want to retire, you want to go to Florida or somewhere is warm. If you, unless I mean, some of you are crazy, you may go to the North Pole for retirement, whatever, whatever you like. But in that sense, but in that culture, in the, the, most people say a lot of the military people retired uh, in Philippi. So it was a wealthy city. They had, of course, money from all the years of service in the military. So it was a wealthy city. It was a prominent city. It was a Roman city. If you're born in Philippi, you're automatically a Roman citizen. It wasn't even in Italy. Only if you were born in Rome or Italy, you'd be a Roman citizen. But here, if you're born in Philippi, you're automatically a Roman citizen. So Paul first arrives in Philippi on a second missionary journey around AD 49 to AD 51. Uh, you can read it in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 40. And it's accompanied by most possibly Silas, Timothy, and possibly Luke. And when he arrives there in Philippi, remember this is the first time Paul is going into Europe. So the Philippian church, the first converts in Europe are from the church in Philippi. There was no Jewish synagogues there, Paul would go. Uh, it was customary to meet at the river, uh, and uh, along the river he would meet Lydia, a businesswoman. She was a seller of purple cloth. Uh, nothing wrong with business people. In fact, they were the uh, converts, they would support Paul. So here, a businesswoman gets converted to Jesus Christ, and, and, she was the, uh, and her whole household gets baptized. So Lydia and her household will be the first converts. After that, we see that Paul will cast out a demon from the girl, a demon-possessed girl in Philippi, and that will land him in jail because, you know, uh, she was doing fortune-telling and her masters would lose their money, right? If you were in the fortune business and the girl that was giving out fortune suddenly lost her ability, you would fire her, but more importantly, you would lose your money. So the people that control this girl will throw Paul and, and Silas in jail. And at midnight, as you know, they would sing and pray hymns and the earthquake would happen and all the doors would open. Interestingly, none of them fled. Even the other prisoners didn't flee. Now, if I was in jail, I would run. I was like, yeah, that's right. My boys got me out. They did something. They bombed the door, whatever. They hacked the, hacked the security system. I'm out. None of them ran. That's the miracle. It was, I mean, of course, Paul and Silas wouldn't run, but none of the other guys were. They were listening to the prayers and hymns. You know, when you sing and pray, other people listen. Do you know that? Your children, people in your home, people at work, and they can be converted. And through Paul's ministry, even in prison in Philippi, the jailer, the Philippine jailer, would come to Jesus Christ. Sir, he would, they would, he would ask Paul, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He was going to kill himself, remember? He was a Roman, most likely a Roman uh, a, a military guy. And in, in, in the Roman 
system, if a prisoner's fled, you, they will kill you. So the guy says, man, he saw all the doors open and he was, uh, none of them fled. He didn't see that. He saw the doors open. He was going to kill himself. Paul said, no, don't do it. Don't do it, sir. Don't do it. He gets saved. So this is the first converts. A woman, a businesswoman, a, a Roman uh, jailer, a Philippian jailer, and possibly, some scholars believe, even the demon-possessed girl. I mean, if, you, if the demon left you, where would the girl go? Who would want her? Only Jesus Right? You know, how many times in your life, who wants you? You've been out there, people didn't want to be around with you. You're living in a world that was so opposite to Christ. Only Jesus wants us. Amen. So Paul will visit this church again in Philippi on his third missionary journey. And the believers there gave generously to support Paul's ministry. This was a wealthy, so they would give. Nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, sometimes we see in the media, people are so against wealth. Oh, everybody's got to be poor to be spiritual? That's rubbish. They're wonderful Christians who are wealthy. God gave them wealth to give. And so this church was a giving church. They would give it to Paul even in prison. They would still give it to Paul, financially support him. Now, if I, in this cause, in our culture, if you heard of a pastor in the prison, more than likely you'd think, man, what did he do? What did he steal? Who did he sleep with? They didn't give up. So imagine not some, a church that doesn't give up on you. This is why he writes this letter as a way of thanksgiving, as a showing that how much he loves this believers in Philippi. And this is says in here, the bishops and deacons, at this point, you know, even in the first century, we have these titles, bishops and deacons, episcopus or diaconus. The church of Philippi has now become an established to the point where leaders were in position. Nothing wrong with having titles, as long as it's appointed by the Lord, as long as God has called you. Paul did not appoint himself. God called him, right? And then later on, we see the Holy Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas for his ministry. So God does it. But in our culture today, everybody is a bishop, it seems like. You go outside or just go around Philadelphia. Everybody's a bishop. I mean, how many bishops do you need? Where's the rooks and the kings and the queens? And the knights. You know, if you get that, it's a chess joke. But everybody's a bishop. But bishops, they do have responsibility. They're overseer, they're responsible for pastoring the church. Deacons are church leaders who have special responsibilities in the church. Then it says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace from God is first, as you know. Our, God, is our, our lives an extension of God's grace. It's grace always. God, reached, God chose us first out of grace. We did not choose him. And it says, peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father chose us, the Son died for us, and the Spirit indwells us. The Spirit of peace. And it says, and I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Then Paul's thinking about the Philippian church and not even himself. Paul remembering the first time he came to Philippi, Paul remembering how the first, first converts, Paul remembering all the uh, ways the church supported Paul's ministry. It's good to remember the things that people have done in our lives. Don't forget the things that people have done a long time ago, how you were maybe a baby Christian and came, people came alongside of you, somebody in your family, God put it in their heart. But remember, he's thanking God. And it says, you know, there is a difference between when you say thank you. Sometimes when you say thank you, someone we're almost obligated, right? 
And I was at the restaurant and I was drive through. I do my drive through every day. You know, I pay the bill. Oh, thank you. Or you know, or or other, or other words. Oh, thank you. You're almost, you're almost obligated. When, but when someone says, "Thank God for you," that's different because they know that God has brought that person in your life. And how many people we can remember? We can say, "Thank God for that person. Thank God for that young man that encouraged me. Thank God for that godly elder man that encouraged me. Thank God for that wonderful lady that helped me out when I was sick." Remember people that were in your lives. Thank God. Paul says, thank God. And this is always in prayer of mine. He's praying, always praying of mine, making requests for you with joy. It wasn't all the obligation. Sometimes God wakes in the middle of the night and, like, and I remember I forgot to pray for somebody. I'm like, oh man, it's so cold. I ain't getting up. I'm lazy sometimes in the middle of the night. All right, I'll just stay in my bed and pray, Lord. And the Lord says, okay, if you want to do that. Always miss out an opportunity, but here it wasn't. You know, and sometimes I pray out of obligation, but here Paul's praying with joy, always in prayer. Jesus, right before his crucifixion, he was still praying for his disciples. The same disciples that are going to run out on him, the same people that are going to deny him, Peter, in a sense, the same people that will be totally clueless of what to do. He's going to pray for them. In John 17, Jesus praying for his disciples before his crucifixion. How many of us would pray for the people around you before your death? We'll be praying for like, Lord, please get me out of here. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. Jesus praying, I, Jesus saying in John 17, and I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And we are his too. We belong to God the Father. And John 17, 13 says, But now I come to you that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled themselves. The Lord is going to the cross and he's going to cry and weep. But then here he's saying that they may have my joy. He's praying to the Father before the night of his crucifixion. He is, so this joy is not circumstantial. This joy comes from the Lord. It comes from God. And we can pray in this joy just as Paul is saying here. This word joy occurs six times in the book of Philippians. The word joy is, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 and the word kara uh, in Greek, but the, also rejoice, we, it occurs nine times in the book of Philippians. Scholars call the book of Philippians the epistle of joy. And Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, as I said, may remain in you. If you don't have joy today, What's bothering? What's remaining? What is in you? What are you slave of? Are we slaves of someone else's, what they think about us? Are we slave of something that's happening, maybe a bad habit? Be a slave for Jesus Christ. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, his joy may remain in us. For you, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This word fellowship Greek word koinonia means sharing in common. But here, it's not just a simple sharing. We can all have fellowship. We don't need Christ to have fellowship in the sense of, in the worldly way, right? You can go out and hang out with your old friends and have fellowship, right? They will love you back. Oh, yeah, he's back. Stan's back. Man, we're going to go to AC tonight. He's back. That, that Jesus didn't do nothing for him. I remember, you know, Mark, Mike Reichenbach, who teaches a forever mentored group, Thursday, he was saying how he got saved, but he was still, you know, going into some of those places that he shouldn't be. And one of the people said, wait, if Jesus is all for you, what are you doing here? 
You know you can't go back to the world. They're going to be asked, wait a minute, I saw you at church, now you're here. But even if you do go about, you know you have no joy. Man, this is the same dumb thing again. The same slot machines, the same Long Island iced tea, the same whatever. So this fellowship is fellowship in the gospel. We have fellowship with believers. We have fellowship with saints. Then that should be first and foremost. True Christian fellowship can only happen between believers who are truly born again. Now, if you want to go back to the world, go for it. But the Bible warns about that. In James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Adulterer and adulteress says, Do you know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? For whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? You cannot serve two masters. You have to choose daily. But reside in the fact that Jesus Christ is loves you, God the Father has chosen you. Yes, we may slip and do some things, but that doesn't mean we love the world. We, the fact that you guys are here shows that you love Jesus Christ. Right? You could be somewhere else today. I don't know, making coffee and looking at the stars. But here you are because you love Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says, verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's completely confident, and that word, the Greek word in a sense, is, is trustworthy. I totally trust this. This very thing that he, he, God, who has begun a good work in you, that work is the work of salvation. God is the initiator of salvation. He chose us, right? Christ died for us. We didn't do nothing. I mean, before, he chose me before, the founding, before I was even born. He chose everybody here before they were born. But he's going to complete that good work. We're not finished yet. There's things about me I don't like. Like I said before, lying, laziness, lust. We don't like that. But he says that God's going to complete it. It's not like people you call in your home to do something and they don't do it until like two years later. Oh no, one of my friends was telling me he hired a contractor and the guy took two years to finish up something. He, he ended up doing it himself. God's not like that. He's going to finish. If he says something, he's going to finish that job. And we should be like that too, right? Amen. If you say something, do it. If you can't do it, don't do it. And do your best. Because not, you know, I don't want to be legalistic, but Christ gave his best. And we should try. And that's for me too. I should try my best. There are times I walk down the bathrooms and I was like, man, I don't feel like cleaning this. This is dirty, Lord. I got to do this. Nobody doing this. I got to do this. Lord says, wait a minute. I thought you loved me. You give your best, not just in public, but in private too. In the, in the confines of your home. Build up your character, your integrity. But this good work, God's going to finish it. We're, some of you are gentle, some of you are not. Some of you are faithful, some of you are not. Some of you are persevering, some of you can barely handle a fingernail break. But in the end, he's going to complete that. We're going to be just like him. This good work of salvation. And he will complete it. And it says he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This day of Jesus Christ is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Here in... Uh, verse here right here in this verse but also mentioned in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 to 8 and it says here who will also conform you this is the Lord who will conform you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ 
We will enjoy sinless perfection and dwell in resurrected, immortal, glorified bodies. The day of Christ, we are raptured up and we'll get a new body. If you don't like your body now, trust me, you get a whole new body. Whole new hair, whatever, I don't know what it's going to look. You know, we be, it says the, word, the word says that we be like him as, you know, as he is, we be like him. A whole new body, incorruptible, undefiled, we will not sin. We cannot sin. The whole new body. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So it's mentioned here. There's also mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, and Paul says there that so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain or labored in vain. You know your labor, the things you do for Christ are not in vain. On the day of Christ, you will be rewarded for your, for your faithfulness, your motives, all those things. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for sins because we're covered by the blood of Christ, but judged for the works that you do. You know, you may have helped the, the lady down the street clean her sidewalk, but you may only have helped her because you wanted her fried chicken. Will you get a reward? No, you may get some chickens in heaven. So there's some motive behind this too. But you may be home, you may not be able to get out of your home, but there you are praying for somebody. God rewards you for that. You may be physically incapable of getting out of your hospital bed, but you're praying for saints and believers. God rewards you for that because nobody sees that except the Lord. And you know, you're going to be rewarded for these things. It's a wonderful thing to serve Jesus Christ. It's not always in the pulpit, in the front. It's in, it's in private too. Praying. And Paul's a prayer warrior, if you want to say that. He's praying for this church in Philippi. And we can do that. We're rewarded for it. All of us are going to stand for the seat of Christ. Every believer. And every man's work shall be made manifest. And it shall be revealed by fire. It'll be tested. Am I preaching because I want to look good? God will not reward me for that. Plenty of people preach just to gain money. They will not be rewarded for that. Plenty of people are not even anointed. Are not even, not, not anointed, not even approved by the Holy Spirit. They will not get, they're saints, they're believers, but there's no reward for it. It's just you wasted 10 years, something for God to even call you. What's the point? Worse is if you had just picked up the trash in the, in the street, you would be just rewarded as Billy Graham because you were faithful in what God has called you. Our labor is not in vain. And he rewards us with crowns, the crown of life, the incorruptible crown. The crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of rejoicing, not crown, royal crown, or crown fried chicken. These are crowns that will last for eternity. And verse 7 says, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. So here, Paul's not just remembering them, he says he has them in his heart. He was a man of great faith, Paul, a great intelligence, but he's here now saying, I love you guys. Sometimes it's hard for people that are so intellectual to say, I love you, or I care for you. It's, it's kind of humbling, but here, Paul, he knew everything. He knew the Old Testament probably by heart. He had deep knowledge of Christ. But he says, no, I love you. I, 
I love you guys. You know, Valentine's is a day coming up. You know, you guys, you know, what are you guys going to tell your special other ones? Will they even know? You know, singles are always saying, oh man, I hope that person is thinking about me. But a married person is saying, I'm not thinking about him. They're in my heart. It's different. That's the depth of love. Paul said, no, they're in my heart. We should have other believers in our heart, not just ourselves all the time. Some of the best moments of prayer, praying for others. Usually when I end up praying, it's like, you know, five minutes to confess your sin, then five minutes I think about, oh yeah, I need this. But when I pray for others, it will last for an hour. Inasmuch as both of my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Even in prison, Paul's saying they are partaking, they're with him in grace. And Paul uses two legal terms here, defense and confirmation. As you know, he's about, you know, he's, he's, he's going to get a court date with Nero, Emperor Nero. But even here, Paul's saying God's viewing this trial as a way to share the gospel. Even here, Paul's thinking about others. Even in this moment of trial, he's thinking about others. For God is my witness, verse 8, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. For God is my witness. If someone says, I really love you, you probably think like, oh, do they, what do they really love me for? But here, so Paul's making an emphatic statement saying, for God is my witness. Believe me, I, I, I promise you, I love you. God is my witness. If you think your spouse don't love you, make them put their hand on the Bible and says, Promise me on the Bible that you love me. That's a good way. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Hey, anyway, Valentine's Day is coming. You might as well make them do it, right? But this is God is my witness that I love you guys. The Philippine believers would have thought Paul would really love us, and he uh, uh, that thought does Paul really love us? Just, you know, we're humans, and we can't sometimes understand the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. But in John 15, verse 9, Jesus himself says, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. I can't understand that love, right? We do not, we do not understand unconditional love. We do not understand that. The Father loves his Son, and just as the Father loves Jesus Christ, it's the same love he has for you. With all your faults, with all your idiosyncrasies, all those things that you don't even like about, but his love is different. He's looking at you as a finished work. You can never say nobody ever loved me. You can never say that. Maybe humans don't, but not the Lord God the Father. And ultimately, that's what we want, right? We want to be loved by him, well, anybody else. But he does. He says that. Charles Wesley in 1747 writes this hymn, stands up the hymn, says, Love divine, all love excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art. Paul was so deeply affected by Jesus Christ's love. Remember, Paul was a murderer. He was an insolent man. He was an arrogant man. And when he came to Christ, he sensed the love of Christ. And now Paul's longing to love these believers in Philippi with the same affection. And we should have the same affection for other believers around us. Yes, they may irk us. They may irritate us. But if God loves you with unconditional love, we can love someone else also with that unconditional love. 
and I'm not trying to be super spiritual, it's hard for me. It's, I know, I look at everything that someone says. You know, yesterday someone, you know, I went to get some food and they're like, oh, you didn't even get that for me. I was like, what? I drove an hour to get this and you don't want that? Just wanted to smack them. But we can do it. We just say, you know what? Maybe, maybe they're hurting. We should think like, maybe they're hurting. Maybe they really wanted this and I just, maybe they forgot I don't love them. But we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own work. You cannot say, I'm going to love you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to love you. It ain't going to happen. It's got to be through the, present your body as a living sacrifice. Let God use you, God, you, on a daily basis to love, to have the same love towards the saints around you. If you needed some guidance on that, you know, and I, I'm not a big fan of this verse because it always convicts me, but it's good. First Corinthians 13, 4, 7, this is love. If you want to, you know, if you want to love others, it says love suffers long. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Can't be jealous. If I come in with a Lamborghini next week, don't be jealous of me. I'm not planning to, but don't. You got to say, Pastor Stan, that's so blessed. You're so blessed. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. You can't be rude to your spouses. You can't say you love you. Oh, honey, I love you. Then, you know, you're almost so nasty to him, to her. It's not love. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. You can't easily provoke. If you're not love, you can't provoke. I get provoked sometimes. The other days, you know, uh, somebody cut me off. I got, you know, I didn't, this time I didn't flip my finger, so thank God. But I was like, man, I just want to knock them off the street. But, like, it's not easily provoked. It's not rude. It's not, things, no evil. How about that? No record of wrongs. Does not rejoice in iniquity. We don't want people that have hurt us to, uh, to fall and, 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 and go away from the Lord. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. But rejoice in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all. Endures. Love never fails. It's impossible for, each, for any of us to do this. But you will. God is going to do this. In it. He's going to complete this to the day of Christ. And verse 9 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now Paul's not praying. He's not just thinking and remembering. But it, and he says, this I pray. In verse 3 and 4 in this chapter, Paul writes that he prays for the believers in Philippi. But here he tells them what exactly he prays for. And he says here that your love may abound still more and more. And this is what we should pray for our believers, our saints, those around you, that their love may abound more and more. And that's a good thing, right? Lord, please let my wife, her love abound more and more. That's a great prayer, right? You'd be like, yeah, that's right. Or his love abound more and more. But how about those saints around? The coworkers that are believers, the people in the church. And he wanted them to grow in the knowledge of God. So Paul wanted them to, their love to abound more and more, but he also wanted them to grow in the knowledge of God. The, the, the word knowledge here, epignosis. And, he not, and this is not just a knowledge of like, uh, like book knowledge, but an experiential knowledge, advanced spiritual knowledge. That your love be multiplied in knowledge, because when knowledge is void of love, it has no value. We need knowledge to know how we ought to serve and love one another, right? I do. I need that. I need knowledge of how, what to do and what not to do. There are some people I can go and be blunt with, but some people I cannot be blunt with. 
I need the knowledge, God, give me that knowledge, discernment, and have spiritual discernment of God's ways. The kind, this kind of dis, dis, discernment is for us to determine what is good versus what is best. Many times I wanted to help people, and the Lord says, no, just pray for them, do not help. I'll take care of it. There are sometimes the Lord will say, no, I don't want you to just pray for me, I really want you to help them. You need that discernment. We grow in the knowledge. And this is a process, right? You, you know, you're not gonna get all this in one day, it's a process. That you may approve the things in verse 10 that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. The word sincere means, the dictionary definition, free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. And you want to be with sincere people, right? I wish you was just sincere with me. Here it says, and that word sincere, it comes from two Latin words, sine, without, and sera, wax. Back in those days, in the ancient days, even today, there's dishonest people. In those days, when they would make pottery, they would, they find a crack in the pottery, the, 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 the potter would put little wax on it and sell it. He shouldn't be selling, it has a crack in it, but he would put wax on it, make it the same color and sell it. If you leave, and then the guy would buy it, take it home, put it in the sun, it would start melting. It wasn't sincere pottery. It was a cracked pottery and, the, and, and it, was, it was fake. Don't be hypocrites. Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here, don't be hypocrites. Our lives should be open before God and our fellow believers. And, and be without offense, as it says, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Don't stumble others. We should long to be pure and blameless without a divided heart, without mixture. Our lives should be free of hypocrisy, hypocrisy where we will not cause our brethren to stumble. If you're witnessing to your young teenage uh, uh, cousin, a girl, daughter, and you go to the beach and you're wearing a thong, that's not a good idea. If you're at the wedding and, they, and you're witnessing to fellow believers and, uh, uh, and alcohol comes around, and like, that's not a good idea for you to drink. Don't stumble others. Is it a sin to drink alcohol? No, it's not. But not everything's expedient, right? All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Don't stumble others by the liberty that God has given you. Don't be, don't be an offense. You know, there was one time I was going really fast on my coworker. I didn't realize my coworker was actually uh, fearful of, of driving over a certain limit, speed limit, and, and you know, I shouldn't be driving that. But I had to calm myself down and say, no, I don't want to stumble him. I'm trying to share the, uh, Christ with them. I don't want to do that. My dad's actually terrified of me driving. He holds a, he holds a car like he's, you know, on the roller coaster. You're not on the roller coaster yet. He's terrified. I don't want to stumble his faith or his love. It's like, man, I'm going to go 80 miles an hour. I'm going to show my dad what, I, what it was really like to drive. No, I don't want to do that. Don't, don't be a stumbling block for others. It says here, should live the kind of life that is tested by the light, whereas you're not stumbling others until the day of Christ. Until the day of Christ, we're going to stand in front of the Lord. And the Lord says, you did all these things, but you stumbled your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't reward you for that. We're not going to lose our salvation for that, but I can't reward you for that. You know, you know, you, you know a lot of pastors, nothing wrong with the wealthy, but you know, they're driving around with Lamborghinis. 
How many people are they stumbling? Bentleys, doing crazy miracles, not even miracles. How many solid believers they're stumbling? You go to other countries, they're stumbling billions of believers. Will they, will they be rewarded for those things? No, heck no. I'm not even sure some of them are even saved. Don't be a stumbling block. Be sincere without offense. Being filled, in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. The fruits of righteousness. So he's not talking about the righteousness that's given to us, right? We're righteous because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything good we've done. But here, Paul is speaking of external righteousness. The fruits of righteousness is the fruit that righteousness produces, and this should be exhibited in the countless acts of kind-hearted deeds and service to which every follower of Jesus Christ is called to fulfill to the glory and praise. And God gets glory out of it when we serve his people. Be a servant. These are fruits of righteousness. Paul's praying for this as you abound in love, as you grow in the knowledge and discernment, bear fruits of righteousness by serving, by doing good deeds. And this is a prayer that we should all have in summarizing. Paul's praying that they abound in love, and we should also pray that we abound in love. Paul's praying for all knowledge and discernment, and we should also pray for our fellow believers to have all knowledge and discernment. Paul's praying here that you may approve the things that are excellent, that we may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. And that's a prayer for all of us, that we be sincere and without offense. Lord, let me not stumble anybody. If I am, let me know. And just as Paul thanked God for the Philippian believers, we should also thank God for the wonderful saints around us. Just as Paul loved the Philippian believers, we should also love the believers around us, the saints around us. And just as Paul prayed for the Philippian believers, let's also pray for the believers around us. Amen? Amen. So let us stand up and let's pray. Father, thank you for your words, Lord. How encouraging is to know how deeply you love us. And was just reading in Paul's prayer, how much he loved this church. What joy he had in praying for the believers and remembering their love for them. And, and Father, give us that same joy to love for the saints around us, the believers. They may irk us sometimes, they may irritate us. But help us, Lord, to love them as you have loved us, unconditionally, without bound, with pure, pure love, Father. Pray for the Holy Spirit to comfort those in our audience, Lord, and to, our, to those here, to those who are listening, Lord, and just bless them and strengthen them and fill them with love, your love, and fill them with your joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.